0: Welcome to People's Church. Before we get to this week's message with Pastor Tom Murray, we want you to know that you matter to your Heavenly Father and you matter to us. People's Church is a multi-generational faith community in Salem committed to knowing Christ and making Him known. Sunday morning worship services at our Salem campus are at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Watch messages anytime and plan your visit at peopleschurch.com. We pray this practical, Biblical teaching is encouraging, challenging, and possibly even life-changing.
1: It is the weekend before Valentine's Day, and it's a great time to talk about love. And we know that in a setting like this, we have every different kind of relationship status that is represented. We have singles, dating, engaged, newlyweds. We have couples who've been married for years and even decades. We have people who are separated, widowed, divorced, remarried, so right up front we wanna say no matter what your status is we believe that God's word has something to say to your heart and mind today. There are people who are confident that all of their problems will be solved once they're married. We have others who would say that all of their problems are because they're married. No one was brave enough to say amen. We're believing for great marriages. Not, not fake, like pretend everything is great on the outside but it's a hot mess on the inside. We're believing for truly great marriages that are great at the deepest, most intimate levels. So let's just go ahead and let some tension out of the room right away and say that no one here has a perfect marriage. There's no perfect husbands, no perfect wives. Let's all agree that those of us who are married, we'd say we wish we could have a few do-overs. Let's all agree, those of us who are married, we've all had moments where we'd think, this is not what I signed up for. Now, if you are here and you have a perfect marriage, I'm just gonna go ahead and preach to myself, okay? But none of us have a perfect marriage, so let's look at the word together. Marriage is the human relationship where the true you is most revealed. Marriage is the human relationship where the true you is most revealed. Now, I say the human relationship because it's possible, possible that maybe for a while you can cover up something with your spouse, but you're not covering anything up with God. God knows everything. 1 John chapter 3, verse 20 actually says, God knows everything even what you did on spring break. God knows it all. There's a portion of scripture that is very popular at weddings, and we're going to read it in just a moment, but what I want you to know is that the original audience was not a marriage seminar. It wasn't for a bride and a groom at an altar. The original setting for this letter, the original recipients were. It was a community of Christians. Now, if you were to look up on your phone or you actually had a... Webster's printed dictionary on some bookshelf and you were to look up the word love, what you'd find is that dictionary definitions of love have a lot to do with feelings and attraction. Here's what's so good. Love is so much better than feelings. What is love? As I was typing, what is love? This is the whatever side of me. I could only think of that This is for fellow teenagers of the 90s. What is love? I could only think of that ridiculous dance song. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I guess look it up on YouTube and waste three minutes of your life. What is love? (laughs) Baby, don't hurt me. The scripture that I want to read that is part of so many weddings is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now raise your hand if you remember, was that scripture read at your wedding? A few, some wives, or husbands are looking at wives like, did we have that one? There is one wedding that I happen to remember where this scripture was read, and I would like to show you this short video clip.
0: Those that make it in marriage have not made it because of butterflies, but because of a choice and a commitment they made long ago. But butterflies are good, too. Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7 says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable, and it keeps no record of when it has been wronged. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance.
1: June 13th, 2009, 2009. Remembering that day, I think it was an incredible day. Jennifer looked amazing and my hands were really sweaty. 1 Corinthians 13, we know it as the love chapter, but we said that the original audience was not a bride and groom standing at the altar. The original audience was, this letter was addressed to a community of Christ followers. It was written to a group of people. Why is that important? Why is it important that there would be a letter or a message about love, not just written to husband and wife or to couples, but written to a community? Why is that important? It's important because Paul challenged the community of Christ followers to not settle for less than love in the way that they treated each other. So if the original audience is the community, does it apply to marriage? Of course it does because Paul is talking about how to love people. And anything that has to do with loving people certainly would apply to marriage. So let's look at this portion of Scripture and dissect the words a little bit because when we do, we start to see just or we expand on the richness of what is in this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. First, the word love there is agape love. There are other words in the Bible that would refer to a brotherly love or a friendship style of love. That's not what we're talking about here. Agape love. This is also not what we would use to describe a romantic or sexual love. That's a different word. Agape is almost always used to describe love that is of and from God. Agape love is about commitment. It is about faithfulness, about forgiveness. It is about striving to love others the way that God loves us. Of all the words that could be used to start God's definition of love, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote down by Paul, of all the words that could be used to help us understand love, the first describing word, love, is patient. Patient. To be patient is to be willing to wait for expectations to be met. To be patient is to not give up. Love is patient and kind. Kind. kindness to be useful. To be kind is to be useful, to be generous, and to do good. Do you notice that these are all actions? Kindness is about action. Kindness is to observe or to see what is useful, what is helpful, what is generous, and what is good. Kindness does not begin at seeing those things. Kindness begins on taking action. Kindness is actually being useful, helpful, generous, and good. To be kind is to be actively good on behalf of someone else. So love is patient, love is kind. These are two positive now Paul shifts gears and starts telling us all the things that love is not. Love is not jealous. Not jealous. When we think of jealousy, there's the jealousy where you want what someone else has. You want wealth, possessions, beauty that someone else has, you want their relationships with others, you want their educational achievements, you want their their success. In life, you want their looks or their athletic ability. I saw this week a post about how girls, you really shouldn't be after men that have six-pack abs because six-pack men who are hard workers don't have time for six-pack abs. It's true. Working too hard to be in the gym Just trying to help you out, guys. So there's that kind of jealousy. But jealousy, when we start talking about jealousy in a marriage, is a little more complex and a little harder to grasp. But jealousy can be when one spouse believes or perceives that someone or something else is receiving what is supposed to be for them. This is a fear that your spouse is replacing you with someone or something else. And this fear can be based on reality, or it can be based on unfounded fear. And whether it's actually happening or it's just perceived that it's happening, both are extremely destructive to a marriage. If it's jealousy based on reality, this means that a spouse is actually giving emotional or physical attention to someone else that it's supposed to be for the marriage. Now jealousy that's based on unfounded fear this is when a spouse fears that their mate is giving emotional or physical attention to someone or something else that's supposed to be for the marriage but in reality it's not taking place. The reaction to jealousy in a marriage based on reality or unfounded fear it's actually very similar reactions. It's often manifests as excessively questioning a partner's behaviors and motives. It can be demanding an account of where your partner is at all times, texting a partner nonstop whenever you're apart, reading emails or texts or listening to voicemails, expecting to discover a lie or infidelity. It can be being paranoid about what the partner is doing or feeling all the time. Now if the jealousy is based on reality, like that stuff is actually going on, then all those reactions are understandable. But if the jealousy is sourced in unfounded fear, possibly because of insecurity, because of unrealistic expectations, because of possessiveness, because of hurt or abandonment in the past, if jealousy is sourced in unfounded fear, then both people in the marriage are suffering because one person is constantly worried about their marriage being under attack, and the other person is frustrated when it feels like there's nothing that they can do to assure their spouse that they're fully committed. So jealousy, whether based on reality or unfounded fear, if it's not confronted, it's gonna hold your marriage back from being as loving as it possibly could be. Now the point in looking at these words and unpacking them, it's not to heap guilt, it's not to try to reopen wounds from the past. The heart in going after these words is to say, let's identify where there's potential brokenness in relationships and let's do something about it. Let's desire to be more like Christ in our relationships. Love is not boastful. To boast is to draw attention to yourself for who you are and how great at least you think you are, which runs at odds with love because at the center of love is placing the needs of another above your own. Anything focused on lifting up yourself runs against lifting up someone else. Love is not proud. Love is not proud. To be proud is to be puffed up. To be filled with pride is to think of yourself as better, smarter, more important than anyone else at a level that becomes insulting. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or, post, or boastful or proud, verse 5, or rude. It does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. Love is not rude. To be rude is to be insulting. The original word that is translated here as rude is later translated as unpresentable. So this can describe being unpresentable because outward actions are so against what is good that they cause disgrace, embarrassment, and shame. In most marriages, the wife will take the husband's last name. A pastor mentor friend of mine would often look at the groom during a marriage ceremony and say, don't do anything that will cause your wife to be embarrassed to have your last name. <laughs> and we're not talking about like the embarrassment like, I can't believe you're wearing that outfit in public. The reality is, in marriages, when we do things that result in disgrace, in embarrassment, and in shame, it doesn't just heap those things on ourselves, it also brings all those things on the marriage and on our spouse by default. Marriage, love, does not demand on its own way. To demand your own way is to continuously insist that my way is the only way in such a way that it dismisses or rejects what is good for everyone else. It's difficult or impossible for a husband and wife to thrive as we when it's all about me. Marriages are more likely or most likely to thrive when husband and wife both live like each, the other person is the most important person. Love is not irritable. Other translations say not easily angered. James, the half-brother of Jesus, would write an agreement to this when he writes, be slow to anger because anger does not produce What is righteous? Righteous is a character in line with God's character. So to be quick to anger produces a character that is against God's character. Here's what I know is true about you and it's true about me. We like to be around people who are slow to get angry. We appreciate being around people who are slow to get angry. In fact, I can't think of ever being with someone who said something like, you know what I really like about my friend? They get angry so quickly. What I really enjoy about spending time with that person is just how fast they get absolutely furious. We want to be around people who are slow to get angry. Now, I always kind of laugh when I get to the next one that says love keeps no record of wrongs. Why? Because. It, This is so challenging because most of us are amazingly good record keepers at all the times we've been wronged in our life. If I were to ask, can you share a time when you were wronged by a coworker or by a manager or a supervisor? Many of us could just, without even really thinking about it, rattle off a time that we were wronged. If I were to ask, When you were in school, or now that you are in school, were you ever wronged by a teacher or by a classmate? Without missing a beat, you could let me know about the time that you were wronged. Were you ever wronged by somebody in your family? And again, a lot of us could come up with a very quick answer without having to check our notes. If we we were to say to couples, husbands and wives, has your spouse ever wronged you? Let me count the ways. think of a husband or a wife, a hypothetical husband and wife, going through some sort of difficulty, and they ask a pastor or a counselor, could we make an appointment to come to your office and talk through this and try to work things out? And then the pastor or counselor saying, yes, let's make the appointment. Please come in. But be sure, both of you, please be sure, bring your record of wrongs and then I just had this mental picture of husband and wife showing up for this counseling meeting, and they both have their binders. They put their binders down, like not just one binder, like three binders. All right, who wants to go first? Let's go through the record of wrongs. It's like we don't even need the binder, though, because we, for some reason, we're wired to remember in great detail all the times that someone has wronged us. It's like husband and wife. I don't remember where my keys are that I set down five minutes ago, but I do remember that on my mother's birthday 17 years ago, you played golf. And I'm going to remind you of this every time we have any disagreement of any sort. To keep no record of wrong, let's, this is not pretending like bad things never happened. To keep no record of wrong is not to just let someone take advantage of you. To keep no record of wrong, it's not to forget about poor choices that someone else made. And it's not like that we have some supernatural ability to just gloss over the pain and gloss over the hurt and the disappointment. But when we look at the original Greek wording that we have translated for us into English, that we get this translation, record of wrongs, a good way to understand this word is to make an account, like a tab. To occupy yourself with calculations for the purpose of determining what another person has in their favor with you versus what they have against you, what they owe you. The message from Paul is that we can allow a record of wrongs to build up to the point where we create a giant wall between us and the other person every time we're with them, We can only think about all the times that they messed up, all the times that they wronged us, and all the mean things that they said. This is especially awful if the person whose account that we're constantly tallying is our spouse. Somebody is living as a relationship debt collector. If you are living your life as a relationship debt collector, It is making you miserable. And I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say it, it probably is making everyone around you miserable as well. Love, verse six, it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love does not rejoice about injustices, It's possible that we can get some sort of twisted satisfaction when other people fail, believing that if that person or that couple or that organization or that family, if they fail, that somehow I'm going to be happier. That's rejoicing with injustice. But the word says that love does not rejoice about injustice. When does love rejoice? Love rejoices whenever the truth wins out. So let me ask, is there anyone here today and you're cheering for someone else to fail? I think there's a game that's going to be played this afternoon of some sort. Do you know that there are some sports where it's perfectly acceptable, even encouraged, to cheer when the other team fails? Like, if you're going to go to a college football game or NFL game or watch it on TV, please don't try this at Pop Warner. if the other team drops the ball, it's okay. You actually, you cheer, People, the, the fans cheer when the other team drops the ball. Appropriate in football, not appropriate in gymnastics. Some of you have been to some gymnastics meets. You go to the gymnastics meet, it's not appropriate to cheer when someone from the other team falls off the balance beam. What does it have to do with the message today? Cheering for people to fail, not good. A marriage where a spouse delights in the failure of the other spouse is extremely broken. And this can play out in subtle but actually very hurtful ways. Perhaps when a spouse is constantly putting down their mate saying things like see I told you that you couldn't do it it's possible that the most awful things that come out of our mouths are said to the person who we are supposed to love the most come on now we need to be our spouses biggest cheerleader let's celebrate when we see things that are good in the eyes of God, let's celebrate for better or worse. Let's celebrate forgiveness, acts of kindness, sacrificial generosity. Let's celebrate restoration. Let's celebrate new life in Christ. When the world turns against you, my prayer is that your spouse is still standing in your corner. Remember that Paul is first and foremost, he's writing to the church in Corinth. He's writing to these believers so he sends this letter about what love is and then many things about what love is not where the community has gotten off track in the way that they are treating each other so i want you to think about this for paul to say things like love is not jealous love is not boastful not proud not rude does not demand its own way doesn't get angry easily does not keep a record of every time you've been wronged. Love does not rejoice with injustice. If Paul were gonna call out all those things specifically, what was likely happening in that community? All those things. Like maybe even Paul got a list of names of some people that were doing these things. And he's saying, brother, you need to stop being jealous. Come on, friend, you're always boasting, always drawing attention to yourself. Your pride is hurting the community. Sister, you're always rude. Come on, man, you gotta stop demanding your own way all the time. Your idea is not always the best idea. I'm trying not to make eye contact as I'm listening to this. If you're convicted, that's the spirit, it's not me. For Paul to call all of these issues out, what is likely true? That all these things were happening in Corinth. Why were they happening? Because Corinth was a real place at a real time in history with real people. And these are the things that happen when real people are in community. And if we don't address them, they cause deep division in faith communities. Verse seven, love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstance. Praise God. There's nothing love cannot face. Love is to believe and have confidence that no matter how dark No matter how broken, no matter how wronged, there is some version of a path forward. Because we're being real and transparent with each other, we're all acknowledging that there are ways that we can get better at loving people. And for those of us who are married, we're saying there are ways that we can get better at loving our spouse. This is not for, you know, to get in the car on the way home and be like, man, pastor gave you a lot of things to work on today. Can we just all agree that we can be better? And when we say we can be better, what we mean is that we can become more like Christ in the way that we love. Because Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. When it comes to jealousy, maybe you've read that God is a jealous God. And what does that mean? God is jealous in that he doesn't want his people to give to someone or something else what is intended for him. So as we long for that in our marriage, may we be committed as husbands and wives that we will not give to someone else or something else emotionally or physically what is only supposed to be for our spouse. Jesus is not boastful. He is not proud or rude. Praise the Lord, Jesus is slow to anger. Through the forgiveness that we receive by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the word tells us there is no record of the times that we have wronged God. Jesus does not rejoice about injustice, but he does rejoice whenever the truth wins out. (sighs) Jesus never gives up. Some of us in the room would say that is so a part of our story. Jesus didn't give up on us. Even when we turned our back on him, even when the way that we live was so against his ways and he had every reason to give up on us. Thank God Jesus never gives up. Jesus Christ never loses faith. Jesus is always hopeful and Jesus endures through every circumstance. Marriage is best experienced by a husband and wife striving to love each other in the way that Christ loves them. Paul, in this letter to the Corinthians, he's laid out 15 verbs, 15, describing what love is and what love is not. And it's possible that as we've gone through this list, that God has been speaking to you about how to love more like Christ. And it could be like the full spectrum. Like I gotta get better at all these areas. And you're thinking about how to become more like Christ in the way that you love people, people you go to church with, neighbors, coworkers, classmates, extended family, family in your household, and certainly your spouse. It's also possible that the Spirit has highlighted from the list of 15 verbs, maybe there's one. And you know that you know that you know that because you've not addressed that, whatever that is, and whatever relationship God is talking to you about today, it is holding you back. It's holding you back from the love that your heavenly Father wants you to experience. Here's what's encouraging. You can be a difference maker. You can't change other people. Some of us have tried. And it's possible that whatever brokenness there is in a relationship, it's possible that it will not be healed, that it will just stay broken. But here's what we can decide. We can decide that if this relationship is going to stay broken it's not going to be because of me i can't change you and you may choose to not move forward to repair but if we're going to stay broken it's not going to be because of me and many of us would tell the story that there were there was hard conversations where we brought something to the surface and it was really really painful But once it's out in the open, then we can start to work on it. And if two people are willing to do that, sometimes those difficulties become, if you're able to get through them, you find that the other end, your relationship is stronger than ever. Here's what also many of us have found, that it's difficult or possibly even impossible to live in marriage without Christ at the center of the marriage. Christ, Jesus, wants to be at the middle of your marriage. Jesus does not want to be like that friendly neighbor down the street that you pass occasionally and wave to with a smile as you go by and maybe invite over to the backyard for a cookout once or twice a year. Jesus wants to be at the center of your marriage. He wants to be at the center of your relationship. Because here's what happens. If husband and wife, or if you're engaged or seriously dating, this applies to if you both take ownership of your own relationship with Christ, husband, wife, each becoming more like Christ, what happens as each of you become more like Christ? You become closer. To each other.
0: We pray that this week's message has been practical, encouraging, and challenging. Let us know if you made a first time commitment or recommitment to following Christ. Visit peopleschurch.com and click connect to share your decision with us. There is great value in being a part of a Christ centered, Bible teaching faith community. If you are looking for a church home, Pastor Tom Murray invites you to People's Church in Salem. Sunday morning and evening worship services, group Bible studies, relevant engaging activities for kids and youth in safe, secure environments. Watch messages anytime or plan your visit at peopleschurch.com.